Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha, everyone. I am so happy to have with me Robin today. And she is a different kind of podcast guest than I've had so far. And I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. So welcome, Robin. Can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. My name is Robin. My company is called The Ash Experiment. And um, I've been in business since about 2018, 19, there in like pre-COVID. And what I do is I have three or four glass blowers that have worked with me to create prototypes of glass sculptures that infuse cremated remains or ashes so that people can bring some beauty into their home, reminding them or memorializing their pet or loved one. I, I think that's that's just beautiful. I know for me personally, I've always thought it kind of odd to just have a like an urn sitting someplace with ashes in it. And I've seen some beautiful urns. I actually know some ceramists that that's their profession is creating these amazing different urns. But it it's not for me. And everybody looks at, at what they do with end of life decisions differently. And so I think it's important to talk about things like this. And I love the idea of the kinds of, of things you make or, or have made. How did you get into this? What, what brought you to this work? Well, it started out in Northern California, which was my home for over 40 years. That's where I raised my children. And I was between entrepreneurial pursuits I had owned two nationwide bakeries prior Mm -hmm. to this, and I had sold both. And my kids were raised and had flown the coop. And I was, I've always been a stained glass artist and really love glass in and of itself. And a friend of mine had a parent who passed away and she called me from the funeral parlor and she said, my mom loved glass like you did. And the only selection they have is really bad. And I'd like you to improve it. And and that was it. And I thought, wow, is this the universe telling me that I should be doing this? And I literally went into the funeral home the next day and asked to see the sample. And it was a molded fused glass. It wasn't blown. And as I said, I have a love of glass and I just felt like this this was something that was really timely and something I could really get behind all that beauty. So I actually found a glass blower in this tiny town, literally 30,000 people. And I found a Murani trained glass blower, which was a miracle in and of itself. Wow. (laughs) And he was very open to the idea and worked with me extensively on how to fuse the ash into the glass because it changes the whole process for the glass blower. 
And we worked long and hard on, we came up with three or four prototypes. And then I decided to move back to Philadelphia. My mom was 96 and my sister had been carrying the brunt of the burden of her for too long. And it was at a time of my life that I felt like I should move back home. So upon telling the glassblower that I was moving back home, he said he didn't think he could be behind the project anymore because he didn't see it happening long distance. And that for me was really upsetting, but I very quickly turned it into an opportunity. I knew instinctively I was doing the right thing on both the move and the project. So when I moved back to Philadelphia, which was my childhood home, I'd been here for years, I I immediately went to search for glassblowers. And I found, long story short, I found three glassblowers and two of the three glassblowers had a connection to me and my past. Wow. And that was very, I mean, it was just too kismet, serendipitous, synergistic to ignore. So I really pursued this and just the cooperation and the style and class and talent of the artists I was working with. I had a real vision for what I wanted. I wanted elemental, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust was kind of my mantra. And I just felt like I was doing all the right things. And we worked hard and we found prototypes. And that's when the website came to be. And that's how I started. Wow. So we'll, we will put your website address in the show notes here so people can actually see what you're talking about because it's Thank one you. thing to think about in your head and it's another thing to, to see the, the beautiful images. Thank you. How do people come to you? How do they find you to use your services? Well, that's an interesting question because when I first started, I had a very realistic plan to go to the funeral homes and show them the product and have them love it and have them falling over themselves to sign up and sign in. That was my vision. And I went on a few calls and I very quickly felt a little out of my element, no no pun intended. I felt there were some people who had been in business four, five, six times longer than I And there were a lot of loyalties with previous earned companies that many of these gentlemen, it was mostly gentlemen at the time, no women were in my purview at that time. And I felt like I had to rethink. So my bakery background was such that I wholesaled and retailed. So wholesaling was was my basis. So that's what I felt comfortable with. And I quickly had to pivot and I decided to take the product direct to the consumer, not excluding the future of doing business with funeral directors and funeral homes in general. I knew that would would be there in some part of this evolution, but I wasn't really sure about anything but what was right in front of me. And I was getting the message that I have to bring this product to the people because I wasn't getting the response that I had anticipated. And then COVID came and then I felt very uncomfortable um, talking to the funeral homes. They were very, very busy, obviously, for all the wrong reasons. 
And I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to be doing this at this time. I was very conflicted about how to sell this kind of product in the middle and beginning of a pandemic. And I'm sure you remember the beginning of the pandemic was very dramatic and very scary for all of us. And it just gave me more impetus to go on the website and kind of navigate my way through this new kind of world that we were living in. I still feel very, feel and felt very secure in what I'm doing, but I questioned my own method at the time. So that led me to really put the website up and make sure it was had beautiful photography. I, I worked with a fabulous photographer and I do a bit of photography. So I was very clear what I wanted and he was very, he worked with me hand in glove, very harmoniously. And I think the photographs on the website are really beautiful. So you basically, that's where people find you is on the website. Yes. And, and that's changing now, but that is the best way to go. And social media, I have social media because again, that goes to the consumer. And I'm just now starting to talk to funeral directors who are much more interested in what, what's happening now. I think they've had a, a chance to breathe and start looking at other ways of memorializing people and pets that have passed. Can you describe for our listeners, since they're, they're not seeing exactly what you have now while we're talking, can you describe how the ashes would be incorporated, what, how, what you do? Yes. When, when you blow glass, there's a core, um, a ball of glass that you start with. I don't know the technical term for that. However, it's kind of like a ball of molten glass on the end of the blowpipe. And as the glass goes into the fire and gets melty and molten and up to temperature, the ashes are then rolled into the molten glass and then blown. And there are more technical, there's a more technical description of that process that I'm not privy to. And in fact, each of my glass blowers uses a different technique. So I can't, I'm oversimplifying it, but in essence, that's what's happening. And you can see the ash in the glass of the finished product. We experimented with, um, I had friends that were kind enough to give me some of their parents' ashes to, to use during our prototype experimentation stages. And I just thought the effects were beautiful, you know, that you can see the ash in there and the piece is gorgeous each time. It's just so, so beautiful. To me, it's, it's, a, it's such a positive way. I, I love to be surrounded by art and to have the combination of the art and your loved one always there is just so special, such a special way to handle it. Thank you. I believe that too. And I know it's it's kind of a challenge sometimes to work with with any business with promoting something a little different or something out of their frame of reference. I know I have uh, I thought it'd be a really great idea for people like either either funeral directors or uh, life insurance people to have copies of my book to when someone passes, they can give it to them as a gift saying here, I want to provide you some comfort with this. 
I haven't had one person take me up on that. I sell it all other different kinds of ways, but I thought that 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 gifting of this from a business would make that business look really good. Well, I'm with you. I think that's a real natural extension of the use of your book, as well as hospice and, you know, senior centers. And I mean, death is is part of our life experience, no matter how we handle it or want to think about it or don't want to think about it. I've, I've come a lot into a lot of situations since starting this business and learned quite a bit. Yeah, it's certainly in the past, people didn't talk about it much at all. I've known people in the past who were terminally ill and wouldn't talk about it. You know, they they didn't want to make arrangements. They didn't want to know what was going to happen. They didn't want to talk at all. And lately, I, I think part of it's because of the pandemic. People have really been kind of shifting their their image. I, I know a book came out called I'm Dead, Now What? And it, it's kind of a fill-in-the-blanks book that, that you do for yourself. And then when you die, your loved one, hopefully you'll tell them where it is so that they can find it. They'll know everything you wanted to say. And if, if you can't speak, person to person with somebody because some people won't. I know my daughter once I was I was talking to her about what I thought that I wanted at that point. And she said, not going to talk about it. Just not she she couldn't face the thought of me not living. And I've experienced that as well. Yeah. It's it's not uncommon. Uh, lots of people just can't. They they don't again have a frame of reference. And a lot of times it happens because they haven't lost anybody yet. And once you start losing people, you tend to shift so that you do want to talk. Mm-hmm. That's how my Grief and Happiness Alliance came to be, that people really wanted to talk to other people who, who got them, who knew what they yeah. were talking about. And it wasn't, wasn't therapy or medicine or something. It was just um, peer support. And... They're, they just are loving being able to have that. And, and they don't, uh, since we're doing it on Zoom and we've got people from all over that, that come to it, they're, they're not worried about running somebody, running into somebody in the grocery store that knows what they said. You know, it's something that is kind of a confidential thing, but very loving and supportive. And it would just be so, so wonderful if in our society we could look at the whole life process more positively you know we're we're all going to be we all were born and we're all going to die and that's everybody so at some point in your life you're going to have to deal with things yeah and having something like what you're offering to have it be something so beautiful i i think is really really special i i really feel i really hear you and i really want to say that when i started this business the surprise for me was that I felt like I had to go further in to myself, to my own psyche, my own beliefs, my own experience in order to have anything relevant to say about this product. It's not just, it's not a baked good, which is mm-hmm. what I was used to selling. You know, it is a product that is, has a lot of energy around it that has a lot of belief around it. And I'm dealing with all of these elements and how could I best represent myself and this beautiful glass 
and speak about it in universal terms that people can relate to. So that started my own journey inward because you can't be on Instagram and Facebook and not have anything relevant to say. You can't just put a photo up there and not have anything to say about it. So I had to tap into my own life experience and that's been a a different journey of sorts. Um, I've had to deal with people that have ordered a product and they were sent a kit. So you're sent a collection kit once you place the order. And we're very, very, very stringent on integrity and, and tracing all numbers and categorizing everything. We're very careful about that. We send out a kit for collection because we only use a portion of the ash. And people would write to me and say, and this happened more than once, um, we got the kit, I'm sorry if I'm taking so long, I'm having a hard time opening the ashes. It's really difficult for me to open the ash and to put what you need in the kit. And I was, I really tried to be right there for, for people because I can do that. I can empathize and have compassion. I'm not threatened or I'm very objective about this kind of thing. And the first thing I recommend is that they call a friend, mm-hmm. you know, that there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no problem. This is normal. This is happening. And let's see if we can work through it together. And that's been really rewarding for me. That was very unexpected to have a role like that. I don't feel qualified, except that I understand my own process through my own grief in my lifetime. And I've lived a lot of lives, it feels like, at 67. So that is something that I notice that the more inward I go, I also want to say that I lost my dog Uh, in July. He was 15. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge journey for me. I mean, I've lost both my parents. I just lost my brother-in-law. I've had other people in my life that I love dearly pass away, but I wasn't prepared for the grief that came from losing my pet, who was like an appendage for 15 years. We had traveled cross-country twice and You know, he had seen me through surgeries and life events, and I really tapped into how I handled that. That's big loss for me. And both my parents who passed away under different circumstances, my mother donated her body to science at at 96 years old. And uh, she was a phenomenal human being. And to me, that's the way to go. You know, she gave back what she took. She lived her, she walked her walk. She was fabulous woman. And when I got her ashes back, when I went to pick them up, I was ill-prepared for the emotional response to that plain box. And then I really had to experience my own path through what I'm saying through the ash experiment that that I really believe what I'm saying about this glass. And I feel like the box of ashes or the urn of ashes represents loss and everything you're missing. And once I turned my mom's ashes and my dog's ashes into a piece of glass, which I did do, I was able to celebrate and make them a part of the interior of my home. 
They weren't hidden away. There was no guilt or shame that they're in some trunk of a car or an attic or a basement. And I feel like this is a large segment of my customer base, people who have gotten the ashes and they're, they're substantial. There's, there can be up to six, five, six pounds of ashes per human. And the idea it's daunting what you do with the ashes once you've made a decision to cremate. And I feel like the ash experiment is part of a bigger solution for that problem. And I say problem because I feel like it is. I feel like there's, it's real challenging. And then when I pass away, is that still going to be in the attic? And are my kids going to have to deal with that? So there's a practical side of this as well. And I really feel like turning the ash into something beautiful is the way to go. Because my mother was beautiful to the day she died. Um, my dog was beautiful till the day he died. And that's how I choose to remember them. And this really helps me to remember that. I'm so glad you described that whole situation because I think that'll help people really relate to what you're talking about. I know there's there's something just about a box of ashes that is difficult to deal with for anybody, no matter how how settled you are, how how much you know knew the person was maybe you knew they were going to die. There's still something about just holding a box of ashes where making it into something beautiful is, is some, it's really different. Mm -hmm. I, I love that concept. It's really nice. Thank you. Well, the, this has just been such an interesting conversation. It's, it's uh, made me think about a lot of things and think a little bit differently. Things I know that I'm, I'm going to be considering and thinking about now that uh, I hadn't thought of before. And, and that's one of the things I like about doing podcasts is you can get into stuff that you wouldn't have even considered or never would have crossed your mind about that. Well, it was really open-minded of you to invite me on. You oh. know, it, it is unlike everything I've read in your book and all your interviews have been fascinating to me and have really added to my self-awareness. And I'm very high on self-awareness. So I thank you for that. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Because sometimes uh, I, I live in Hawaii and I do have friends on the island, but I'm not around people like I was before I moved to the island. And often I wonder, is this just what I think is a good idea, you know, <laughs> or do other people get it too? So it's, it's really nice to get that, that kind of feedback from you. I mean it. That's that's just wonderful. I, I really I love what I do, and I can actually say that I'm happier now than I ever have been in my life. And I'm surprised to say that, but it's it's really true. I was um, talking with somebody the other day about being on something that she was doing, and it, and it was about happiness. And I thought I was a perfect match for it. And she goes, "Well." Uh, it would be okay to talk about happiness, but grief isn't happy. You can't talk. <laughs> I thought, okay, you're missing the point. You know, the, the point is it's important to be happy while you grieve. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's lots of people who've written memoirs about their loved ones and they're beautiful and it's, it's good for them that they were able to do that and they've helped some people, but it wasn't what I felt my mission was, was what I was doing. 
it, it's really different for me. And so it's really, it's great to hear when, when somebody, you know, just says that's, that's exactly what I needed to read, or I'm, I'm so glad I had that, or people have told me that, that what they do now, instead of sending flowers for uh, funerals and things is give them a copy of the book, because it's that's something great. that's going to be there a long time, and they can refer to it whenever they need to, and actually and get comfort written, and help. Emily. Oh, thank you. It is. It's it's written from your point of view, but it's also basic, instructional, healing, and people need that. People need practical analysis, you know, what to do next. They can't really think about or hear or see what's next for them. So practicality, you know, giving something, giving an assignment like you do is really practical. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps ground you when you're flying off somewhere in PTSD moments of grief. Thank you. That that means a lot because that's that's my intention. I do want it to be universal. Mm -hmm. I, I try to be careful about how I say things so that it's showing that it can reflect anyone's beliefs. There's nothing right or wrong about different beliefs that, you know, you, you are who you are. And if you can take this information into who you are, the way you are and what you believe, then that's, what's going to help you the most. And, and I think just to add to that, people really understand your authenticity. I think people can hear even in their inner voice when they're reading your book or through your podcast, they can hear the authenticity that you, you live this, you had the horror of living this twice. And actually, as I was reading the book, I went into many memories and I had some philosophizing going on that I hadn't previously thought of. Like, like before, I used to think that integration of grief and loss into your life was where I needed to go. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned since is that the grief stays and the loss stays as big and as important as it was, but my life got bigger. You know, it's a different kind of image that I have now. I don't, because I just got home from a trip and I walked in the door and Sammy was in here to greet me and the grief was instant. It was instant. And I've been living my life. I have been crying less and blah, blah, blah. But when I walked in after a trip, it was really hit me in my gut that he wasn't here. And that's when I had this kind of epiphany that the grief is just as deep, but it's not prevalent every moment. I can live my life alongside the grief and integrate that way. But my life has to get bigger than my grief. It's not that your grief dissipates. And I really believe that's true for me. That is such a beautiful way to put it. I know when I go on other people's uh, podcasts and I'm interviewed there, one of the most common questions I get is, how long does it take to grieve and when is it going to be over? Uh, that's two questions, I guess. But that's that's what people are looking for. They They want the answer they want to hear from that. They want to know, well, I can grieve for six weeks and then I'm back to normal, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and that's, that's not how it happens. Your grief is as deep as your love is exactly. and your love doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I know that that was one of my big challenges after Jacques had been gone for a while. 
And I met Ron. I had no intention of going out with anybody, meeting anybody. I just, I didn't. What I felt like was that I wasn't unmarried. That just because someone dies doesn't mean that my connection to him was gone. And it, it took me a while, even, even after actually Ron and I dated for four years before I decided that it was okay to get married <laughs> because I just had this, I had to get to the point where I felt like I am fine where I am. I know that Chuck would want me to be happy. He was one of the happiest people I ever knew. And he would be disappointed if I didn't do something to be happy. And I think both of them now would be thrilled to death with where I am with being as happy as I am. And being able to use that happiness to help other people and, and see that they, they don't have to live in this, this gloomy state. I, I know two women very closely who, when their husbands died, that was it for them. They sat in a chair. They did watch TV around the clock or have the TV on. I'm not sure they watched it around the clock and didn't do anything, didn't talk to people. They, they just kind of thought their life was over because their loved one was gone. And I, I kept thinking how, how their loved one would be thinking if they saw them sitting there like that. Well, a lot of people, correct me if you don't agree with me, but I feel like you do your loved one a disservice by ending your relationship with them because they're not physically still here. I'm a very deeply spiritual person. I mean, almost every religion known to man has a view of afterlife and death and where we go and what happens. But I fundamentally really believe that we are energy and and you can't destroy energy. And I believe that it is healthy, at least to some extent, to know that you can have a relationship with this person after they are no longer physically in your life. And I know my sister lost her husband and it was not planned. He was 88 and he was deeply loved by the whole family. And she owns a business and he gave her a lot of counsel over the years through her business. And right now when she comes up against it and there's a problem or something she can't figure out, we both say, you know, what would Sid say? What would Sid do? You know, that's, that's, they're still here. They're still, like you said, he wanted you, he would want you to be happy. I can't imagine losing someone in physical form and not having a continued relationship in some way with that person. Even if you go places, you know, they would want you to go or Mm -hmm. learn how to cook if they wanted you to cook or just continuing a conversation you know, even if it's one-sided, I just believe that that's a healthier perspective. I, I totally agree with you. I think that that's, that's so important. One question I get asked is, how can you love two husbands at the same time? You know, one, one that's physically here and one who's not. And I ask them how many children they have. Exactly. Because, you know, you, you can have 12 children and love them all at the same time. There's, there's no limit on love. It's, that's that's true a, universally yeah. as well, I believe. Some people don't acknowledge that, but I yeah. really believe that we have infinite capacity to love. Yes. And the more we recognize that and focus on that, the better our whole world is. Every day, that's part of my intention. That I'm, I'm, I am focusing on love. I'm focusing on peace. I'm focusing on gratitude. 
And the more I stay in that space, the more I can be to everybody else. I know it sounds so cliche. Um, I hope I hope people know that I'm being authentic. But when I suffer a loss, whether it's personal loss, physical loss, or losing a person or a pet, I really I really try to get to a place of gratitude authentically. I don't just try to leapfrog there. But I know that once I start feeling gratitude for what I had, that I'm more present in the moment. And I know that you devote a large part of what you say to being in the moment, which is not always a very immediate or easy thing to do. However, for me, it is the goal. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm often conflicted about how you can be in the moment when you're experiencing things consciously after they've happened. So I, I waste a lot of time thinking about things like that. But when I'm in the moment, I can really find a happy place of gratitude. And that's what I'm always seeking because then I know I'm present and I'm not off somewhere in my thoughts. That's so true. You know, no matter what kind of loss you're dealing with, you can always find something to be happy about, to be grateful about. Gratitude changed my life when I started really paying attention to what I was grateful for after Jacques died, because I initially, when somebody suggested it to me to write down what I was grateful for, I thought they were nuts. How could I possibly be grateful for anything? My whole world has collapsed without my husband here with me. And learning that lesson of really paying attention to gratitude and what you're grateful for, it's, it's not, a lot of people think it's just this trite fad or trend right now, and it's not. It's, it's deep work, and it's incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, what you say about writing and how important writing is, even if you're, you know, you're not looking at grammar, you're not looking at vocabulary, just try to let the words come out of your pencil kind of writing. This was the attitude that I had to find in order to create content for social media, for my website. I mean, I had to tap in. You know, there's there's a part of me, I believe very heavily in a BS meter. And there was a part of me in writing this website, and I, I definitely had help, so I don't take all the credit, but in writing these posts and in writing these blogs and in writing in general, I have to tell the truth about how I'm feeling about something because I believe it really comes through on the page to the reader and it has to be authentic. And that's the pressure I put on myself. And that's why when, when people write and they ask me, you know, what happens to the ashes? How do I fill out the kit? What do I have to do? I make sure they're very clear that I am going to hold their hand through this process. And I've managed to do that every step of the way. And I can only hope that people that that come to my website feel that through the writing because they all don't get a chance to discuss it with me. That's that authenticity is is so critical. You know, when when you live in full integrity, you can't go wrong because you're always speaking the truth. You, you never have to look for, you know, what did I tell him? So I make sure I tell the next person the same right. thing, you know, you bring your story you, straight. Yeah you, yeah. you always, always tell the truth. And it's, that's really 
an incredible relief when you can recognize that and actually live that way. Powerful, really powerful. And I've been very lucky. I think all the people that I work with have this exact kind of stance on integrity. And it's very clear through the art, through the beauty of the art, through the clarity of the art. Um, There's nothing on the website that's confusing. You know, I really kept it simple. We also do custom pieces. I also have a friend of mine, a dear friend that I've known since elementary school, who's actually a ceramicist and she's throwing an urn for someone who wanted a traditional urn. But it's so different than walking into funeral home after funeral home and seeing the same exact line of urns. And it got very sad for me when I was looking at my competition, when I was looking at what's available. And it was a real stab in the dark, but I feel like that is what entrepreneur means, you Mm -hmm. know, to have an idea and to take it where no matter who the doubters are, you know, take it, take it and fly with it. So um, that's for sure. I know uh, one of the, if not the biggest, very close to the biggest important things about art is it, it's not art if it's a duplication. Every, every piece of art is authentic. It's original. And when you're doing something like that, your person or, or your pet, whoever it was, was different than everybody else. That's right. And if, if you buy the, the same casket that everybody else uses, that takes away from their individuality, I think. I, I also knew, a, I, I took a, I do ceramics. I especially like ceramic sculpture. And I was in a, a workshop one summer with this woman whose profession was making urns. Just that's all she made was urns. And I said, did you get, do you get bored with that? She goes, no, every one of them's different. Everyone is totally different. So that's, that's what's special about the kind of work that you're doing. It, you can't make it. It's not like you, you said about one thing that it was made in a mold. You're not going to see anything ever again that's exactly what you're offering. Correct. Even in color and in size. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I did the best I could to limit what I could, but I don't want to put any kind of boundaries on these artists that have incredible talent. And that was part of the process. You know, what can, what can we show our customers that you're happy doing? Mm-hmm. And every time you get an order, you'll be happy doing. And, and, and how much will they vary? And what colors can they be offered in? And I tried to give as many varieties as possible, but there's print on the website that each piece is unique. And we also co-mingle Ashes, if you have the ashes of both your parents, Mm. they can be commingled into one piece. I just find that an exquisite thought. I really find that meaningful. So I I hope your audience hears that and is interested enough to just come to the website and see for themselves the beauty of these pieces and to hear that this is a different idea. You know, it's for what we're doing for my mother is, you know, we're sprinkling ashes to all the places that were meaningful for her. And it might take us a minute, but we feel so good about that kind of journey. And then of course we have the glass at home. And, and the other thing is, you know, this is so timely because 
For instance, my father was cremated, but his ashes are buried in the cemetery. Well, I lived in California for 40 years. You know, I never had a chance to go to the cemetery. More and more and more people are, are being, they're strewn all over the country, all over the world. They can't get back to one place. It used to be very different. It used to be you grew up in the town you were in, you got married, had kids. So when your parents were buried, it was around the block or a few miles away. And this is a solution for that as well. You know, that I can send my sister in Italy a glass sculpture with my mom's ashes in it means a lot to her. And I feel like that's a very important consideration. One of my early funeral homes is uh, the largest funeral home and cemetery in Philadelphia. And they said to me, we are running out of land. We literally have enough land to bury about 300 more people. Wow. And then I started looking into all the numbers and how cremation has gone through the roof statistically because it's practical. We're running out of land. We're running out of ground in this, in this country. So I really feel like what I'm doing has my finger on the pulse of beauty and bringing light into a dark subject, to a dark, I think the urns are dark. I think it's the glass brings light, light mm. shines through the glass and it lightens up how you remember this person or pet. That's really how I feel. Oh, that's so beautiful. So beautiful. And I can see how beautiful it would be. Let's let's imagine a family, a mom and dad that have eight children, and each of those children have children. And so there's a whole lot of people. You could commingle the ashes of the mom and dad, and everybody in the family could have a beautiful piece of art that's a memory for them. Think how many pieces that would be. And each one of them would be unique and different and beautiful and treasured forever. Correct. So you're doing an amazing thing that I think is just a a beautiful thing for our world today. A positive thing for us to look at and think about and talk about. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have been able to spend this time with you. Thank you, Emily. Right back. That's wonderful. Okay. Well, Thank you all for listening. I appreciate all my listeners every time you you tune in. And I will have another new podcast out next week. And I'm always here for you. So thank you very much for your love and support. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.